turn in our Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. Our text this morning is chapter 1 from verses 12 through to the end of the chapter at verse 18. Please stand with me as we hear the word of the Lord that is living, powerful, authoritative, and sufficient. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have blessed us with this word. We pray that you would open up this text to us, that we might see and magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. When I was younger, I used to watch a few television shows that were even old for me when I was young. Things in syndication. And two of the shows that I would occasionally watch, perhaps you've seen them as well, one was called Kung Fu, in which, in a mix between Oriental Kung Fu movies and Westerns, David Carradine would go throughout the Western countryside bringing the wisdom and mysticism that his master had given to him back in the East. And they would cut back and the master would say things in typical Eastern riddles like, the only way to find things is to stop looking. Or, it is the ones who are wet who are dry. You know, things like that. You would, when you were younger especially, you'd shake your head and go, that's really profound. There was another show that I enjoyed watching. It had three men in it. And they talked about being wise as well. As a matter of fact, very often, one would shout at the other one, Oh, a wise guy! While they plucked each other in the eyes and smacked each other on the head. They were, of course, the three stooges. And they would talk about don't being a wise guy and be a wise guy. Well, at first glance, these two things may have nothing to do with each other, right? We're talking about stooges and a master of wisdom. The irony here is that, I think as our text will explain to us this morning, what Solomon is saying to us is there's no difference between these two. Without God, you may think you're wise, you may think you have knowledge, you may think you know things, but you're really just a stooge. You can't find purpose. You can't find true wisdom. You can't find true knowledge. It can't be done. You see, we recall last week we went through our theme for this book, 
that life without God, life under the sun, is empty and meaningless. It is purposeless. And now Solomon is going to give us a first for instance. He's going to move from the general to the specific, and he's going to talk about wisdom. And so what I would like us to see this morning from this text are three things. First, we'll see empty wisdom. How wisdom can be empty or vain. And then secondly, we're going to see that wisdom isn't just empty without God. It's actually downright painful. Painful wisdom. And then finally, we will see where true wisdom comes from as we turn our minds and our hearts to the New Testament and look to see where the true wisdom of God is found. Well, let us begin then by looking at empty wisdom. Our text begins almost as it had begun in the beginning of the first chapter, last week. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. Verse 12 is very similar to verse 1. As a matter of fact, you recall we used verse 12 to buttress who we said wrote this book. But Solomon is describing for us something more than just the fact that he was a king. He says in verse 13, I applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Now we know of Solomon as the wisest of all men in the Bible. As a matter of fact, we know him as the wisest of all men that's ever lived, the Bible tells us. And he tells us that this didn't come easy. He searched it out. He had a pursuit of wisdom. And so what he's going to do is tell us that the first place that he tried to find sense under the sun, the first place that he tried to find meaning apart from God was in wisdom. This is the perfect place to begin if you're Solomon. It's right up your alley. To use a baseball metaphor, it's right in the wheelhouse. You don't even have to think about it. You know that. You see these players, and if it's low and away, they're all over it. If it's high and tight, some of them are all over it. For Solomon, it's wisdom. This is perfect for him. And so he pursues it. So what does Solomon mean by wisdom? For some of us, I think we think wisdom is like the Eastern riddles that I talked about a few moments ago. It's things that are sort of high in the sky, things for philosophers and graduate students and people who are way out there. But you see, for Solomon, the Hebrew word for wisdom encompasses so much more than that. It's actually a combination of theory and practice. I want you to get out of your mind this image when we think about wisdom and thinking. It's the image that some of you may have seen at college. Whereas you walk through a hall or into a lunchroom, there were a group of graduate students sitting around a table, all dressed in black, smoking cigarettes, talking about death. And you're like, who are these people? Where do they live? Are they real? No, this is not the kind of wisdom that Solomon's talking about. He's talking about wisdom that is practical. As a matter of fact, it encompasses a how-to. Those who were wise in the Hebrew sense knew how to do things. Not just knowing about things. But it's more than just practice and how-to. It also deals with ultimate questions. Look at what he says in verse 13. He says, He applied his heart to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. We might say everything that happens, all the things that we see that men do and that we see that God does, all that happens in history and nature, He searched out everything that was done under heaven. 
He's trying not just to collect facts, but to get at the nature of what takes place. Right? Some of you do this for a living. Some of you are in chemistry or the sciences. And there's someone, perhaps it's you, that goes out and collects facts. But there's also someone else, and again, maybe it's you, that takes those facts and looks behind them for meaning, purpose, nature, asks the big question, why? Not just what, but why? And this isn't just for adults, though, is it? Sometimes our children can drive us nuts. Everything is why. Why is the sky blue? Well, because there's clouds. Why are there clouds? Why is it this? Why? Well, why? And eventually, we usually get to a point where we just say, because I said so. Because we're tired of the why. But you see, Solomon, Solomon never tired of the why. He kept asking the questions. He kept pressing it. He tells us he searched, he sought, he was seeking and searching out. This was not a cursory glance for wisdom. This is roll up your sleeves time and get into it. The word here for seek out, search out, is the word used in Numbers 13 of the spies that Israel sent into the land. They were to go and look at every nook and cranny and to find out as much as they possibly could about the land. That's the kind of investigation that Solomon is conducting. We might think in terms of a Columbo who never leaves even the smallest thing unturned. This is the kind of search that Solomon conducts for wisdom. This is his pursuit. And how does this pursuit end up? Well, it ends up like this, he says. It's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that's done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. You see, the unhappy business that God has given us is this search for wisdom. It's not that life, as one philosopher said, is nasty, brutish, and short. No. It's that wisdom itself is a nasty business. Seeking after it, it causes difficulties. We'll look at that more in a moment. But what is it like? It's like striving after the wind, Solomon says. It's a waste of time that frustrates us. It's the problem that you just can't solve. How many of you have had this experience? You're working on something that you think is going to take about a minute or two to fix. Could be a car. Could be a computer problem. Could be a math issue. Could be a recipe. And your spouse or your child or your parent comes over and says, what are you doing? You said you'd be here five minutes ago. It's been 45 minutes. And you say, I've almost got it. You can't let it go, right? Even if you've got other more pressing business, you can't let that problem go because you've got to beat it. And when you don't, how do you feel? You feel frustrated, don't you? Have you ever had a situation like that and you've had to leave? You've got to go pick someone up at the airport. Or something's going on and you've got to leave the problem half undone. You're frustrated. You can't get it out of your mind. That's what seeking after wisdom is like, Solomon says. But it's more than that. Chasing after the wind, striving after the wind, is like ambition for something that is unattainable. It gets under your skin and you cannot let it go. There's actually an interesting metaphor here. There's one of the ways in which 
it's possible to translate striving after wind is the idea of shepherding the wind. The word here for strive is very close to the word for to shepherd or to be a shepherd. And the concepts really go together. If you can imagine someone trying to shepherd the wind, or let's put it a little bit more, trying to herd cats. You know, someone has said once that working with lawyers is like herding cats. Can't really be done. They're interested in their own thing. Herding dogs is another matter. They like to be together. You pull them together. Hurting cats, no. You see, it's striving after something that even if you catch it, there's nothing there. Even if you're successful in shepherding, there's nothing there. You kids know a little bit about what this is like. Maybe even more than adults. Have you ever played the game where somebody takes the jar of bubbles and blows and everybody else tries to run around and catch them? What happens when you catch the bubble? It's gone, right? All that work, you catch the bubble and it, it's gone. Unless you've got, I guess, these now make special bubbles that will last five or ten seconds on your finger. But It's striving after something that just is ephemeral. It vanishes. It goes away. Now, Solomon says, this is what God has given. Or we might even say, appointed. The word here for given has the sense of Appointed. When God talks about giving prophets, he uses this word. He has appointed this to men. Why? Why would God appoint it to us to strive after the wind, to go after something that can't be gotten, that frustrates us, that gets under our nerves? And Why? Well, I think the answer is to lead us to him. God wants us to be dissatisfied with wisdom. He wants us to be dissatisfied with our search because he knows at the end of that search is emptiness, vanity, meaninglessness. And he doesn't want us to fool ourselves in thinking we've arrived at the end of the road when we haven't. It would be just as foolish as if when you went off on your next vacation, about 10 miles before you got to the next town, you stopped before the exit to get to the hotel pulled off to the side of the highway, opened the door and said, kids, we're here. Let's take a nap right now. And you thought that you had arrived. And you would say, that's foolish. And it's dangerous. You get hit by a car. Yes. So is thinking that you can find meaning in wisdom, in knowledge. This is the emptiness of wisdom. But Solomon does not stop there. He will not let us have any measure of respite. He says next that wisdom is painful. It's downright difficult and painful. Look at verse 15. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. You see, Solomon is now getting at even the why behind the why. He says, okay, so you think you're going after wisdom for a greater purpose. 
You're not going to be caught up in the emptiness of knowledge for its own sake. You're going after it for a purpose. He's meeting the objection of the modern man who would say, Oh, but Solomon, you haven't understood the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is just finding things out. And we can't ever come to the end of that. But wisdom is knowing what you need to know and what the purpose is. That's what I'm going for, Solomon. And Solomon answers, you know what? You can't fix life. You can't do it. You may think there's a purpose. You may think you can do something outside of God. But you can't fix it. He says it's self-evident. Life is broken. It's crooked. He says, what's crooked cannot be made straight. You might think you can take something that's all gnarled up and fix it up, but you can't. He says, life is empty. You can't count what isn't there. Don't pretend that it's there. You may think that wisdom will help you do this, but it doesn't. We might think of two examples from the Bible of men who thought they had life figured out. But there was something lacking, something broken in their life, and it ruined their entire lives. The first man was born into God's covenant people. And he was also a king. He was a ruler. He had everything that was available to him. Riches, power, wealth, a beautiful wife. His name? Ahab. He had everything but one thing. One little small vineyard next to his place. And it gnawed at him. And it ate at him. And he couldn't enjoy anything. To the point where there's this marvelous scene in Kings where his wife Jezebel comes in and he's acting like a six-year-old. He's crying on his bed saying, I can't get that vineyard. She says, stop it. Cut it out. You're the king. Take whatever you want. Stop acting like a baby. But you see, it gnawed at him. It took his whole life. He could not conquer life. He had everything. But see, his life was broken apart from God. And all it took was a little thing like a vineyard to show that. There was another man. You may say, well, maybe he was affected by the fact that he knew who God was. He had the scriptures and he was disobedient. There was another man who was born in a foreign land. Never knew the God of Israel. Wasn't born to the covenant people. He too was very powerful. He too was very rich. He too was very wise. Others looked to him for advice. His name was Haman. And there was one thing that got under his skin. One thing that got in his craw that stopped him in his tracks from enjoying life. He said, I can't be happy at all if Mordecai is blessed. It's making my whole life miserable to see that. You see, he thought he had everything figured out, but he didn't. Life without God breaks you. In one way or another, sometimes it's jealousy, sometimes it's greed, sometimes it's lust. Life without God breaks you. You cannot fix life. How does this relate to what Solomon's talking about with wisdom? What Solomon's saying is, unlike Haman and unlike Ahab, he searched out wisdom and he found wisdom and wisdom showed him the illusion of life without God. 
You see, knowledge does that. It tends to point out where we're wrong. It tends to point out where we, have, where we are lost. And that's what wisdom does here for Solomon. It shows that life is an illusion. It's said, perhaps, that the wiser a man is, the more unhappy he is. And frustration with the state of the world goes along with wisdom. This is wisdom destroying our illusion, the protection that we give to ourselves so that we can rebel against God. But wisdom doesn't just destroy illusions. It also brings humility. It shows us that we cannot fix life. Now, why does it do this? It does it to prepare the way for redemption. You see, it's by being wise, by seeing what we lack, by seeing what is wrong, by seeing that life is a mess without God, that we're brought to the place where we see we need a Savior. Usually, the best weapon in God's arsenal for bringing wisdom is the law. Shows us our lack, shows us our problems, shows us our disobedience. This is what God uses to bring about redemption. You might think about it this way. If I were to ask you a question, who are among the most difficult people? No. Who are the most difficult people to evangelize? What do you think? People who've never been to church. People who live incredibly wicked lives. Not in my experience. In my experience, it's the people who think they've got it all figured out. Six ways till Sunday. And they don't need God. They're perfectly fine without Him. Right? It's a really hard shell to break through. And that's what we anticipate. We anticipate that difficulty. And sometimes God uses experiences... Like Solomon had. It says that he experienced all kinds of things. His heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. He was out and about. God showed him, as we'll see in weeks to come, his experience with wives, with buildings, with riches, with work, with fame. It was all vanity. You can't fix life apart from God. But also, a great difficulty with wisdom is you can't figure life out apart from God. You see, many people make all sorts of decisions. They'll consult spouses, experts, friends, and they leave one person out of their counsel. God. They never bother to see what God has to say. And that's a danger for us as well. Christian. You find yourself trying to make a difficult decision about a job or about a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a way to spend your money or a way to spend your time and you ask everyone around except God. You don't search out to see what God has to say in the matter, what his heart is on it, what his will is. You see, this is the danger. And wisdom without God makes for nothing. Life cannot be figured out. It's like this. It's like the man 
driving. Everybody in the car knows he's lost. And he won't ask for directions. It's, it's, it's humorous when it's, well, we'll be a half an hour late. When life and meaning is at stake, ask for directions. Look to the one who has the directions. If your life right now is a mess apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, God has wisdom for you. He has directions for you. He has directions to the celestial city. You must go to Him. You cannot figure life out apart from God. You may think you can. You may even have what you think is a pretty good handle on life now. You may have a wife or a husband and 2.4 kids and a good 401k and a nice house. But you know what? Someday the cancer is going to hit. Or someday the accident's going to come. Or someday the job's going to go away. And you're going to be left holding an empty bag. Solomon says you don't want to do that. Be wise. Seek after the Lord. You see, we are especially vulnerable to that. Because we in America are liable to see education as the solution for everything. It is our God. Not that education is a bad thing. Oh, of course not. I have more degrees than I would care to count. And Solomon was certainly an educated man. Education is a good thing. Wisdom is a good thing. When the apostles give directions as to how to pick deacons, we all remember that they say they're supposed to take men who are full of the Spirit, but they also say you must pick men who are wise. And when Stephen preaches, they can't gainsay him because he is wise. So, learning is not bad. But worshiping at the altar of learning, thinking that we could solve all our problems just by fixing education. You see, it's the age-old dilemma. This is not new to America. There is one basic difference between Christianity and paganism. And it's encapsulated in two men. One, a philosopher by the name of Plato. One, an apostle by the name of Paul. And Paul says, the good that I would do, I don't do. And the things that I should do, I don't. And it's ripping me apart, Romans 7. Plato says, it's all just a matter of getting some proper education. Once we fix everyone with education, everyone will be good and fine. I've said to you before, you know what that is? That's Star Trek theology. If we just get it all figured out, everyone will play nice. No one will ever take anyone's toys. No. Paul says, I know exactly what I should do, and I do the other. And that's sin. You see, this is why it's hard to figure out life. Steve Mathis is teaching a class on early church history. He just got through talking about the five good emperors of Rome. These good emperors were not necessarily good for Christianity. They were actually a little bit bad, but they were good for the Roman Empire because they chose successors based on merit and knowledge. And the last of these five good emperors was a man by the name of Marcus Aurelius. And he was so good and wise that he's actually a philosopher. He actually was a philosopher king, like Plato talked about. He was a king who was a professor. You think, this guy's got it all together. 
He's got the practical and he's got the theoretical. He's going to figure it all out. We are good to go. Rome, take over the world. And he produces the most abominable emperor ever in the history of the empire. His son, Commodus. Some of you may have seen the movie Gladiator, which is about 10% truth. But one of the big things that's true is that Commodus, the villain in that movie, is a miserable, sinful, wicked, selfish man. That's who this philosopher produced. Because he was seeking after vanity. So parents, don't make certain that your kids go to college. Or that they get a good job. Make sure they know the demands of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to have faith in him. Don't be worried that your kids are set for retirement with a good 401k. Give them the gospel. That's where life is found. That's where meaning is found. Everything else apart from that is meaninglessness. 401ks in God are good. College educations in God are good. But apart from Jesus Christ, it's smoke in the wind. Here today, gone tomorrow. Who cares? That's what Solomon is saying to us. Because you can't ignore life. It's a saying that wherever you go, you're there. You go round and around, you can't get away from yourself. And seeking after wisdom can't blot out the pain of life. It always bleeds through. I've said to you before that this is a book full of pop references. Some of you may know this old song. What goes up must come down. Spinning wheel got to go round. Talking about your troubles, it's a crying sin. Ride a painted pony, let the spinning wheel spin. That's the philosophy of wisdom without God. Spin around. Ignore life. Find distractions. Not painted ponies, painted Corvettes. I'm in a midlife crisis, I buy a sports car. I'm in a late life crisis, I buy a humongous house. I don't want to do that. I take the best vacation I could ever take. I'm drowning out the world. True wisdom doesn't do that. Because... The results of a search of wisdom are painful. But wisdom itself is painful. If we apply for wisdom with God, we look around us and we get frustrated at what is going on. How many of you go and relate to other people in an area of your expertise? And after about five minutes, when they're not doing it the way they're supposed to do it, and especially if it's slowing you down, your temper ratchets up about five notches, right? Especially if it's right in what you do. And you are tempted, say you're in a store, say you're in a place, to walk up and grab the thing from them and say, would you please just let me do this so I can get out of here? It's frustration. This is life without God. And it peeks in at us through our sin. We must push it down. We must mortify it. This is what we do. We're all subject to this. Well, this is the problem that Solomon gives us. Remember I said to you, week after week, he's going to point out to us how life apart from God is miserable, worthless, and a real big pain. But you see, when we think of wisdom, we think also of something else. Perhaps you even think of another book that Solomon wrote, the book of Proverbs where he personifies wisdom. 
Perhaps you might think, as I did, of James, where James says that true wisdom comes from above, and it's peaceable and pure. You see, true wisdom can be found. Real meaning for life can be found. Wisdom doesn't have to be painful. It doesn't have to be empty. No, wisdom, true wisdom, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me, if you would, just briefly to the book of 1 Corinthians. Go to your right to the New Testament. You'll see the various Gospels, then the Pauline epistles. It's the second epistle by Paul, right after Romans. And in chapter 1, verse 18, Paul writes this, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written. You can almost imagine Solomon writing this verse. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where's your wise guys? Where's their smart aleck remarks now? Where is the scribe? Where's the debater? Where's the guy you're afraid to talk to because he buries you in questions and articles and scientific proofs? He says, Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, Solomon, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the what? Wisdom of God. You see, Christianity is not about being stupid. It's not about shirking wisdom. It's about finding real wisdom and real meaning in the Lord Jesus Christ. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. What Paul's saying, in plain words, is something like this. On my best day, I can't lift as much as Mr. Universe with the flu. This is going to happen. God is so much more wise, so much more powerful, so much more mighty, so much more knowing than anything that man could produce. That even what seems foolish is beyond any wisdom that man can produce. This is true meaning, true wisdom. That's why Jesus says, I am the way and what? The truth and the life. And John writes in John 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and what? Truth. True truth, true meaning. This is the kind of wisdom that we are called to. And it doesn't look like what the world looks like. Because what does Jesus say our faith is to look like? That of a little child. Mark 10. You see, it's not about impressing others with how much you know. It's about going after real meaning in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is there that we find real contentment. You see, true wisdom is found in the Word of God, in obeying God, 
Jesus puts it like this. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a what? Wise man who built his house on a rock. You kids know the song, right? Wise man built his house upon the rock. Where did the foolish man build his house? On the sand. You see, to not obey the word of God is to be a fool. You may think you're being wise. You may have everything planned out. You may have 15 engineers come in and make sure that the studs will hold perfectly and the roof is of the best steel and it is a structure beyond compare. And you stick that on a sand foundation and the first storm, it's gone. And all your wisdom is for naught. You see... True contentment and true meaning is found in obeying the word of God, in seeking after the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Paul says, I have learned to be content, how? In Christ. Whether I abase or abound, whether I hunger or I'm in plenty. This is the call that Solomon gives to you today, to prioritize your life today around God and His wisdom. To know true wisdom Not to be a wise guy. Let's just pretend. That's just for effect. You want true, lasting wisdom and life. And it is only found in God's wisdom, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have so blessed us with this word. And we ask, O Lord, that you would indeed guide us more and more into truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.